Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, First off, let me say, for those who are listening to this relatively contemporaneous, um, Happy New Year to everyone. I hope 2020 is off to a great start for you. Um, It is at the time of recording, January 6th, uh, 2020. Uh, This is my first recording for uh, of an episode for 2020 so um i thought i would dive in i had intended originally to do a retrospective um episode of this uh last uh i guess last year (laughs) but um bum uh first of many year uh end or changing of year puns i expect to uh inflict upon you fine folks in uh, the coming hour or so um but unfortunately, at the end of last year, I, I got a pretty nasty dose of uh, food poisoning, uh, which knocked me on my butt for about a week. And then I was um, caught up with the holidays and with uh, adopting a new pup. Uh, so what I want to do is uh, I'll start with uh, kind of a summary of what's going on in uh, the land of the Dungeon Muser. And then I will talk about uh, some of the, um, I guess, year-end lessons uh, that I uh, I drew from uh, both uh, the experience of podcasting and the experience of streaming and I'll give you an update as to where, you know, what, what's happened on the podcast, on the um, the channel as well, too, and how that uh, has, uh, reflecting on the past year's streaming, how that's going to be affecting my uh, year going forward. So let's get to the episode. All right, this is going to be take three of this uh, effort. I, I keep uh, accidentally erasing it or uh, otherwise uh, screwing up the recording, but um, so... The past year has been um, a really productive one as far as uh, gaming goes. Uh, I uh, streamed just over 500 hours of uh, games on uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, Of those games, there was 26 different games that we played. uh, And the top... I mean, some of the numbers uh, or the the most uh, prolific games, at least, uh, were... Are not surprising. It was not surprising that uh, the game I streamed the most was Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. I absolutely adore that game, and uh, it's not surprising that we had a lot of fun with that. Um, number two was the uh, Pathfinder Second Edition game, and uh, with how much of that we have played in the last uh, like four months, it is uh, not uh, altogether surprising that we um, uh, we had uh, that as number two as well. We we've played that pretty pretty much every Wednesday and Friday in uh, uh, August through December so that's that's not surprising that that is number two um, number three was uh, Starfinder which also was not surprising that was uh, our uh, the other game that kind of went the distance from January through to uh, December um, something I didn't see any broken you know um, any broken you know, period of play or anything like that. We, we just kept playing uh, Starfinder, so that's not surprising. Uh, number four um, was... Uh, hold on, what was number four? Pathfinder Second Edition... Oh, number four was a bit surprising, uh, which was Pathfinder First Edition. So uh, at the beginning of last year, beginning of 2019, I had started running an Iron Gods campaign, and then uh, we ended up uh, scuttling that campaign, and then I had around that time also run a uh, multiple session uh, one-shot for uh, a charity session uh, that was uh, using Pathfinder 1st Edition in the setting of um, 
uh, Innistrad, the uh, gothic horror uh, setting for Magic the Gathering. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because, like, I mean, the, uh, when I did the tally earlier uh, last week and uh, I realized that, uh, that that was the fourth most, you know, run game on the channel, I, it actually led me back to Pathfinder first again which I had left behind after uh, Iron Gods. Uh, so I have a, a kind of a plan for uh, potentially getting uh, Pathfinder 1 back to the table in 2020, uh, not as one of our primary games, but as a, uh, uh, a sh- something for a short uh, campaign. Because um, I, I did, you know, low-level play in Pathfinder 1, I really, really do enjoy. Um, I, don't, I don't think I, in retrospect, I don't think I really enjoy a high-level play in, in many fantasy games. I, I enjoy... The struggle and, and the kind of grittiness of low-level play of uh, in most fantasy games, um, so it's maybe not surprising that uh, oh I, I'm attracted to this this interesting variant of Pathfinder First Edition called P6, which limits um, the mathematical growth to the first six levels. So you do level one to six, you kind of level up as normal, and then uh, once you get level six, uh, every whatever, you know, X amount of XP, uh, 1,000, 2,000, whatever you want to set it as, uh, you, or I think it's actually higher, it's like 10,000 or 12,000, um, what you gain is a new uh, feat or class ability or, you know, uh, whatever, and there, there's some specialized feats that they have on it to sort of fill out what, uh, you know, what, what some of the 7th and 8th level abilities are with the classes, but uh, what, what it does is it makes for a, um, a setting that is basically going to be between uh, challenge rating 1 and challenge rating 10. So, you know, it's... Uh, it, I'm preferring to, to not think of it as a like a truncated version of Pathfinder. It's, it's, an, it's choosing to present a world through a much smaller mechanical uh, range, and um, I'm interested to see how that plays out in long term. Like, I've spoken on the podcast before about how I'm interested in uh, growth out rather than up in uh, games where you get more abilities and more you know neat kind of tricks in your uh, box of uh, tricks or I think I'm mixing metaphors of box of tools and bag of tricks there but uh, <laughs> I take it that you follow my meaning uh, that's the getting more abilities rather than just getting more hit points hitting harder hitting more often and stuff like that having higher saves uh, so so yeah so that, that was kind of interesting and then the fifth most run game was actually a tie within 20 minutes of each other and that was uh, the One Ring, published by Cubicle Seven, and it was D and D Fifth Edition. And I was a little surprised by D and D Fifth, only because I didn't think I ran that much uh, of it this year. I, I had uh, maybe not on this podcast, but uh, certainly on the channel. I've uh, in my uh, quarterly updates, I've talked about how like one of the reasons we don't run D and D Fifth on the channel. Part one of the reasons is because you know everyone else does it. Yeah, there's so many other actual play D and D Fifth. I, I don't think you're that people are starving for content. And also, it's not really my favorite game, you know. It's it's not even in my, I don't know, I'm not sure it's even in my top five uh, favorite fantasy games uh, to run. So, um, I, I'm not, um, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought that I would have run as much of it as I apparently have. But nevertheless, here we are. So, that, uh, that was interesting. And I think the, the vast majority of the, those hours came from our... Uh, basically, a, it was a, a fifth edition hack of the World of Warcraft. We were playing characters who were all blood elves um, shortly after the scourge, uh, and that was a that was actually a, a fun campaign. I, I made some uh, mistakes in that campaign uh, that I uh, 
I learned, hopefully learned from, from other campaigns, uh, particularly the um, using uh, games that, uh, that don't really have a lot of granular leveling uh, and also using a story-based uh, game with rotating cast. That was very challenging with that because you'd leave on a story beat with one character and, uh, and then the player of that character would not be able to make it for the next session, so I'd be scrambling to try and figure out what, uh, what on earth I was going to do for that next session. And that's actually a, a lesson I've learned uh, in, uh, in general uh, with a lot of the games we have, uh, we've played this year is that the, there are games that suit a rotating cast by virtue of how they play, uh, how they present the kind of wider world and uh, the ease with which you can kind of adjust for missing characters and things like that. And there are games that don't do terribly well. Uh, the two games that I had most recently put on hiatus, and by hi- hiatus I mean I'm probably not going to get back to them, uh, are the uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition Barrowmaze game. And uh, we're actually talking about, I had intended to continue on playing uh, Starfinder uh, into the new year, but uh, we've actually had a uh, player drop out uh, recently. So, and that, that was not a particularly big group. So with the player dropping out, it, it kind of left us in a place where, well, one of the players, or one of the, this particular player's character was, uh, was pretty heavily um, linked to the ongoing uh, story stuff we were doing in this flashback scene. Then, and so that particular campaign, um, both that one and the the one I'm putting on on hiatus, uh, there's no one to blame for what's happened in those campaigns, and then except for me, uh, because I think that I made some uh, mistakes when I uh, the way I, I sort of approached those two games. For the Barrowmaze one, um, I I kept running. I last time I I, I ran uh, the Pathfinder Second Edition playtest. Uh, Barrow Maze one. I kept trying to run it in a way that was more old school, and it doesn't work with the system. The system does not function very well with that style of play. And I tried that again this you know this time. And uh, this time I did try to specifically design rules that would work with the um, with the actual um, what do you call it with the. Uh, uh, the mechanics of uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition and the sensibilities of Pathfinder 2nd Edition, but um, just didn't work. And then the more story-oriented we got, the more difficult it was to, to run the game with, uh, a, with a heavy story focus because we would have players missing from different sessions and, you know, you would... Uh, encounters that I designed for a certain level of character or, or for a certain uh, makeup of characters... I would suddenly have you know have to rejig on the fly, uh, and they were either substantially more difficult or substantially easier because now we had a different group of, of players, um, and um, it's uh, the game itself is also a fairly tactically heavy game, which is very rewarding if you are playing a um, if you're if you're playing with a group that is regularly together and can adopt uh, tactics and, and things like that, but. With a group that is rotating, you don't build up that um, that uh, consistency and that teamwork. So it kind of made it uh, harder for for the players to to deal with certain adversaries, particularly when if the given group that you had uh, did not have the capabilities of dealing with the encounter that you you suddenly had, 
uh, it made it a lot more challenging than what uh, I think it intended. Like, the example I'm thinking of is uh, the, the one of the final sessions we ran, uh, the players ran into a patrol uh, of, uh, they were infiltrating this flying city and they had, um, uh, what do you call it? They had uh, um, encountered this patrol that had the ability, they had, um, it was goblins who had these uh, alchemical nets and then ranged weapons. So what they were doing is tr- like locking the, pl- the player characters down with the nets and then just shooting them. And unfortunately the players had no range attacks. Like they just, they did the group of players that we had did not have a substantial amount of, um, either they had none or they just didn't make use of their range attacks. So players were just kind of hooped. Uh, it was a much more challenging encounter than uh, what I had intended. And, um, I mean, it was intended to be a, a, in addition to being kind of a flavorful thing and that, that fit with the, the world, uh, it, it also was intended to be a, um, a sort of a, a an abject lesson in why you don't just wander around on, on the surface of uh, Serain is because these guards are, are difficult and challenging. Um, so, uh, so that was the Pathfinder one. Um, and then the Starfinder one, the reason it, uh, that I screwed up there was I, uh, so I originally started running the uh, campaign to run the uh, against the Aeon Throne adventure path. And the first module was pretty good. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but I, once I got familiar, the reason, I guess, first off, the reason I was going to run the module rather than run a, uh, you know, something of my own creation is that I wanted to learn the game. I wanted to learn uh, how to balance encounters and, and so forth and, like, what um, is a reasonable amount of adversaries to throw at people, whereas, you know, how, how you, the pacing works, all, all the things that you you know, you get from playing the, the actual game. I wanted to do that with a pre-written adventure to get a sense of what the campaign was uh, about, you know, like what, what is, well, what the game is about. And the first one went pretty well. I did add some extra stuff into the, to it, which was fun. And then I also added in um, a, what do you call it? Uh, I added in some uh, start off with a flashback sequence, and as soon as I start off with the flashback sequence, I realize that, like, oh man, uh, this is actually pretty easy to to run and pretty easy to, to scale. And I really enjoy the flashback thing. And then we ran the adventure, and the adventure was pretty good. Um, but uh, the follow up adventure, I was not super keen on just carrying on. Uh, so I, I decided, and we had been talking about things that as a group we liked about Starfinder. So I decided to do a flashback and. Uh, what was supposed to be a very short kind of quick mission ended up being about five, four or five months of play in this flashback scene. And I think two of my players were really keen on getting back to the adventure path. And then um, the, yeah, and then I I was also thinking about ways to hack the system. And I I wasn't intending on making the changes to our Starfinder game, but it became apparent when I was spitballing about this that at least one of the players was really concerned about that uh, we were changing the, the rules for, for the game too. And uh, my, you know, uh, my response to the player was like, well, you know, I'm going to make changes that this is how I run games. I mean, I'm, I'm going to make changes to the, to the rules if I feel they are necessary for, for running the game. And, you know, if, um, if you don't like it, I mean, then I, I guess we want two different things from the game. So maybe this isn't the game we should be playing then. Uh, and I, I wasn't intending that as a, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing. It was just a, an easy, 
past experience has told me that if a game, you're starting to see that players and DMs are wanting different things from a game, it's not going to work. You either need, to, either need to make substantial changes to the game or you need to stop playing that game and find something that everyone is on board with playing. Because it's just that, I don't know, it's just that I, I uh, for, for myself, um, I don't run games as an obligation. Uh, I, I run games because I like running games. And when we're all on board with it, that's great. But, I mean, I, if I get to a, a point where I feel like it is a game that I'm feeling that I need to run because, you know, we need to get through a certain bit of a story or whatnot, I, I just don't understand. I, I just won't do that. I mean, I, uh, uh, I, there's uh, better DMs than me who are able to soldier through those things or willing at least to, uh, so I'm able to do it, I guess. I just don't want to. Um, you're able to uh, soldier or willing to uh, soldier through those um, things to kind of quote-unquote get back to this to the adventure path but um, what it made the with, with the player dropping out it got, gave me a chance to think about it and the thing I, I have realized which I've mentioned on the podcast before is that I just I really don't like running adventure paths um, the and the reason being I mean I understand their value I, I have listened to the, the guys from the glass cannon podcast have done a great job of running APs in a really fun and entertaining way but there's a couple of things about them that I really don't like. Um, for one, um, I find it boring to just walk through a story. You know, I uh, I don't really enjoy just running players through a pre-written story. Even with my own campaigns, I've always got a lot of loose areas in them to allow players to kind of do things, and then um, I, I respond to what the players are doing, and I really enjoy that. I really, really enjoy having to think on my feet and having to kind of uh, figure out how the world's responding to what the players are choosing to do. I love that stuff. Um, I also, uh, and with Adventure Paths, you don't get a chance to do that. Or if you do, you're running the risk of substantially screwing up your Adventure Path. Uh, or you're having to rewrite a great deal of things to get yourself to the preordained uh, conclusion that that is the Adventure Path. So I, I, I don't really like them for that reason. I also am not crazy about how much they focus the attention on just getting through the adventure path like the the fact that uh, some of my players felt that we needed to get back to the adventure path you know um, that runs contrary to how I run games you know in, I, I've mentioned before in the podcast that I whatever's happening at the table is how is is the game you know my perspective is that whatever is going on with your story whatever is happening with what the players are doing with their characters that's the campaign um, the campaign isn't the pre-written thing that some other you know um, person from uh, it was a, a freelancer for Paizo that they've written um, and yeah so I mean I think that that creates a, a, a real hierarchy of value between what's spontaneous and what is written in the campaign and I, I don't like that I mean I, I don't like the idea that players are thinking of different like uh of what's official content and what's you know just the campaign because it's less immersive you know it creates more artifice in the story and um instead of creating more opportunities for fun unique experiences in the adventure paths what those small changes do and or larger changes in the case like my with my extended flashback what it does is it makes the players feel that there is a, um, a real disconnect between some of the parts of the campaign and other parts of the campaign, and, and that's really not what you want in a game, at least not what I want in a game. Um, and then the last thing is, is uh, I don't like how it doesn't give me an opportunity to indulge my creativity, you know, like, I mean, I like, one of the reasons I love running games is because I like coming up with stuff that's going to be um, appealing to the players and to the 
to the characters uh, and that is linked to those specific characters as well too and there's certainly ways you can do that with the adventure path that Paizo does a good job of giving you like campaign traits or campaign archetypes that, that specifically link to that so it's not to say that, that uh, Paizo doesn't give you tools for doing that or that you cannot do that with an adventure path it's just that I don't know I mean I, I just uh, I, I, I don't like the idea of just running preset uh, in, in counters and I don't uh, I don't know. I mean, just it. Uh, I like being able to uh, to dabble with my games and come up with stuff that I want to try. You know, and uh, I find the adventure paths don't really give uh, me an opportunity to do that stuff. The sandbox ones, like maybe uh, Kingslayer, I think that that likely does uh, give a much better opportunity because it is a sandbox and because there's, it's easier to just plunk stuff in there. And it's not to say that mo- uh, adventure modules in general are, um, are anathema. I mean, I, I love using them for resources, uh, particularly... And, the, and it's not to say I don't like reading the adventure paths either. I think the adventure paths that Paizo publishes for both Starfinder and Pathfinder are great. Lots and lots of great content. Um, really good... Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, they're, they're great products, incredible maps, uh, great uh, action set pieces, uh, you know, great way to learn the rules. Uh, it's just that I don't, I, I recognize now that, uh, you know, I, I'm not the kind of DM who's going to want to sign up to just run a pre-written six-module adventure path. I just don't, I, I inevitably end up getting bored or getting distracted and wanting to shake up the campaign because I do, I, yeah, so... So anyway, um, that that is something that has uh, has uh, we've come to a realization, or I've come to a realization. And with the player who had dropped out of uh, Starfinder, we uh, we circulated an email saying, "Okay, well, guys, what do we want to do now?" Like I I was quite busy when uh, I got the news on that, so I didn't have a chance to, to really turn my mind to it. But I threw it out to the players and said, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking," or I, I said, "Like, I, here's what's happened. Like, what what do you guys think of, of what you want to do?" I'll share my ideas a little later this year, this week. And I heard from all the players, which were some good suggestions, and mostly everyone wants to carry on with uh, um, Starfinder, so then I I sent my suggestion, uh, and on our other Sunday group, we play Starfinder every second Sunday, and on our other Sunday group, what we are doing is we're having a rotating uh, set of games. We're doing a quarterly game, so every uh, three months we're going to switch over to a different game, and then we're going to play about uh, six sessions of that game, gives us a chance to play a nice little either mini campaign or long uh, adventure and then we move on to the next one and uh, I suggested say well we could do something like that you know uh, if we want to add another player or two we could do that uh, although we want to try and find something uh, some other player although we may want to find um, you know we a game that that is a little more complex that uh, that actually plays better with a small group so we could do that um, and uh, what, what I had said and what I thought I had said to the, the player who uh, who laughed uh, as well is that like look I mean if we don't continue playing Starfinder um, my it's not that I'm saying we won't play together again it's that we would find a different game you know we'll find a different game that we will all enjoy playing that's you know if, if the current game isn't working that's fine but I play you know with um, all the players uh, that I've played with this year while we had initially, the people who have who have remained, I should say, uh, the while the initially the the plan was was to, um, uh, what do you call it? to uh, to 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 run a specific you know games, um, I have come to greatly enjoy playing with all the players who are in my regular games, including the guy who uh, who left the game as well, um, and my expectation was that if we don't enjoy Starfinder, hopefully we'll all just keep playing something on on Sunday. 
you know, on our Sunday sessions because the uh, I, I enjoy playing games with the players that I've been playing with this year, so or this past year. So where we are with this one right now is um, I, I sent out some ideas and the players. It sounds like everyone does want to keep playing together, uh, so that's great. I mean, that's really really good because I, I really enjoy playing with those uh, those guys. And um, I'm going to send out some uh, probably later today. I'm going to send out an email with some suggestions. But I've also got you know the other players brought up an interesting idea, which is like, well, what if we just re- kept our characters and reworked the campaign? And uh, I recently ran Conan again, the Modifius Conan role-playing game, and I had mentioned it, when we were playing that one, I said, or we're making characters for it, I, I mentioned that oh well, you know, one of the things I enjoyed about this this game before was that I don't need to worry about continuity. We can play an adventure and then be done with it and not have to figure out how that fits in with the rest of the campaign because that's how Howard's stories worked. And it didn't take anything away from them. We didn't need the continuity of one story to the next, to the next, to the next. It was just done in ones kind of thing. And the... While that doesn't work for um, every you know campaign, obviously, uh, and uh, while you can run Conan that way, um. I wonder whether we can just take the characters that the, the the characters that the players have really come to enjoy and, and have been you know developing and whatnot and seeing grow from first level. If we took those characters and then just set up a, a brand new campaign, you know, I mean, as if in the same way that like if you had a um, a pilot and then you're in a TV show and then you reworked the uh, the series between pilot and and air. What if the first year of our Starfinder campaign was the pilot season and we you know kind of figured out what we wanted to do with the game uh, and then I tried running a campaign ignore everything that's happened before we just keep the the elements of the connections between the characters which actually works pretty well with the characters we've got and then we just start playing a new Starfinder campaign with the characters as they are that's interesting to me I, I, I don't know I need to lock on an, an idea that uh, that I think will fit for for this particular campaign, um, but it's a really interesting idea, I think, uh, because you know um, it it f- appeals to my old school sensibilities in the sense of you know back in the day when people would bring characters from one D and D group to another D and D group, and uh, they didn't really care about the continuity between worlds or, or things like that. They just enjoyed playing their characters, and I think that my players are quite invested in, in these players. They've been playing them for a year. They've seen a lot of development, and very, they've been very patient at the pace of, of um, advancement. Um, so it might be interesting to... That might be an interesting solution, is keep playing with the same guys, keep playing a game we all enjoy, but just, you know, say, okay, everything that's come before um, was, you know, what's past is prologue, and we're going to see where this campaign... Uh, we're going to start, kick, you know, kick off fresh and new. We're not going to necessarily make reference to any of the events of the previous campaign, we're just going to start playing and we'll see where the story goes and, and maybe do a nice short story and then see how that one goes and yeah, and then see if it's a game we want to keep playing. So yeah, so anyway, that's a, that's the first bit of um, my, my retrospective on uh, 2019, what we've played and, and what in the last little segment did not work. Uh, next segment, maybe what I'll do is I'll talk about some of the lessons I learned. And some of this is going to be rehashing, unfortunately, from my uh, State of the Union. But um, I, I think I've, I've had a, a little more time to reflect on it. So I've got some other thoughts. So next section, lessons learned. 
Okay, now let's talk about um, the lessons uh, from this past year. So, uh, obviously, I mean, uh, my, my apologies for the kind of negative quality, or not negative quality, but negative uh, tone of the um, uh, first segment here. But uh, obviously, one of the lessons I've learned is that uh, adventure paths, uh, just running as written, are, are never going to really interest me. So I, I should stop trying to do that. Um, but uh, on a more positive note, the, uh, the campaigns that were... Uh, ongoing, uh, even though I have put a pin in our Baromaze campaign for now, because again, that, that, that I feel like there's that ludonarrative dissonance. It's not the game that's designed to run that kind of sandboxy thing that I was trying to push towards, more of a story-based game. Um, then uh, what, I, what I did draw from that, though, is how much I enjoyed... Um, I, I have been running, I guess, Baromaze itself uh, for about a year and a half now. And for those who are unfamiliar with uh, the Baromaze setting, it's, a, it's the first of the mega dungeons that uh, Greg Gillespie put together. And it's a pretty cool product. Uh, it's well, not only pretty cool, it's a really great product. I, I got a great deal of use out of it. The thing is, is that I, I think that um, the vast majority of my use of it has been the about 10 pages maybe, not even that much, maybe 8 pages of uh, setting material for his uh, for the town, for Helix, which uh, is uh, adjacent to the region where the Barrowmore is. Uh, and the uh, the Barrow Maze itself, I really only got uh, about maybe maybe a third of our campaign was spent actually exploring that. Probably more closer to a quarter of the time that we spent uh, was spent actually in the Barrow Maze itself. And um, there's a couple. I mean, a couple reasons for that. One of them is because I I mean I did uh, end up expanding on the material in the town setting and added a whole bunch of new stuff. Uh, in terms of like factions and uh, really had like NPC quests and I had other things going on on the surface that were all eventually going to link back to the Barrow Maze but um, you know the uh, the Barrow Maze itself there is a narrative that goes on as you explore that thing but you kind of have to have that ins- the impetus to go and just explore the dungeon like that has to be what the campaign is about and, and I, I think that's probably contrary to what um, like I, me as a DM, when I'm running my own stuff, I do like to have more um, incentives there than than just like there's gold and there's riches and there's a, therefore XP uh, to be had by going and exploring the, the Barrow Maze. Um, and as a result of that, uh, because there isn't that baked in connection to uh, to a reason to go into the Barrow Maze and stop whatever is down there, um, it's not. You know, look, our, my players were completely content to go and do a bunch of other things. They weren't feeling like, oh, we need to get back to the, you know, quote-unquote adventure path, which is going to be through the Barrow Maze. Uh, instead, they just kind of happily went along with whatever nonsense I was uh, coming up with. So, um, <clears throat> so that the thing I, I, when I was thinking about what other games I wanted to try, um, the, well, I guess the other positive thing is the uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea game is now uh, just over... Well, actually, we ran our, our one-year anniversary game last weekend, and that game's awesome. I just I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy uh, the campaign, uh, the game itself. Uh, it's just a really... Yeah, it's a really awesome game. And uh, where we are right now is the, the heroes have just returned to this keep that they liberated. I've talked about the fight, that uh, the first fight to, to liberate the keep, how amazing that was and how much it sold me on uh, old school rules but the uh, they return there now uh, with a, a, a rival army hot on their heels so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how things pan out the next session that's that's going to be pretty crazy but the thing that has really appealed to me about that game is how much it has 
developed organically. You know, it is uh, truly a sandbox where the players can go and do whatever they want. But there are plots that are going on, and each of the characters has specific motivations uh, that they're pursuing, and, and uh, many of them have their own mysteries. And I need to, in this year, really play up and uh, give more opportunities for spotlight time to all of the players uh, to, in terms of um, like playing up their backstory. Although I don't know that every player is necessarily you know invested in that type of uh, thing anyway. Um, but uh, nevertheless, I'm going to at least give them the option, and then if they choose to dive into that and pursue it further, then that's great. If not, then that's fine. Um, the let's see here. The other things uh, I learned from that campaign is just how how much I enjoy running. So how much I enjoy running an old school style game. Like how much easier it is to run those games mechanically than say you know Pathfinder 2 or D&D 5 or Conan or you know, any of the more mechanically complicated campaigns. Uh, it really is um, you know it, it's as easy as like when I roll random encounters to open up the monster manual or open up the ash book or whatever I'm choosing to use and just use whatever it is right out of there. You know I can make up stuff on the fly and it runs very easily. The combat does not take too long. Uh, I, I, I and by, by which I mean like too long is like it doesn't feel tedious. It feels dramatic and then it's done. You know, and that to me feels like a really appropriate length of uh, time. And I like the the uh, iterative, not iterative, but the um, uh, phases. The, the way that the combat system works in that is there is a very regimented uh, thing where there's two different phases, and you have uh, you go through the order of melee, missile, magic, and move uh, each um, each round, and that means that, like, you know, if you're shooting a, a rifle, or a rifle, <laughs> you're shooting a uh, shooting a rifle, you got very lucky and found an Atlantean artifact. Um, but if you are shooting a bow, uh, you know, or throwing a javelin, you're going to go after the melee fighters go, but before the magic casters, and before anyone who's just moving is going to go. So, um, that, it's, that's all really great. So what that got me thinking, over the past year, I've also been um, yeah, filling holes in, uh, well, not filling holes, I kind of started down a rabbit hole of... Uh, looking at AD&D 2nd edition stuff and I started, you know, uh, looking at stuff again and uh, then started collecting stuff again and over the course of the year, about the last six months of the year I've, I've filled out a pretty substantial um, collection of all of the original uh, OD, uh, or not OD&D AD&D 2nd edition uh, rulebooks, the core rulebooks so that includes all the complete books with the kits and stuff in them and uh all the blue books for the DM uh, and the green books, the history ones, and the monster manuals and uh, or monstrous manuals. I'm not getting the uh, monstrous compendiums with the loose sheets because like those are a fucking pain in the ass back in the day, and I can't imagine that they've aged well over 30 years. So, I, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't need those. Uh, however, I have been uh, binding. I've got uh, I can't get prints on demand versions from uh, Drive Through RPG, but I've got PDFs from many of the monstrous compendiums of specific settings that I like, like uh, Dark Sun where I've printed them and bound them. Uh, so I've got uh, uh, I've got a nice selection of uh, monstrous, of really amazing monsters to draw from from it as well. And what I decided is, uh, you know, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with in place of our Bear Maze game, I said, you know what, let's give AD&D Second a try again. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd been converting over a bunch of material from that to Ash uh, about like late summer uh, last year anyway. So I was fairly, you know, conversant with the material, but I, uh, um, it's, uh, I think it's Forrest Aguirre, uh, is a buddy on Instagram, and he had been running a, uh, I can't remember if it's Forrest or if it was, uh, uh, gosh, 
I think it was Forrest, who was running a Dark Sun 2nd Edition, uh, ADD 2nd Edition game, running rules as written. And I, the, the idea kind of logged in my brain, and then um, uh, Adam Carolla, I think, uh, not Adam Carolla, uh, Adam Coble, uh, had a, 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 I can't remember if it was a full episode about it, but he was talking about the uh, Sayana Can book. And I don't, I don't watch a lot of uh, Adam stuff just because I'm, I'm not, to be honest, I don't really have time for other actual plays. I, I tend to watch more like, advice stuff or like commentary uh, stuff like Seth Skorkowski or Matt Colville but um, Adam had an interesting thing talking about the Sound of Cam book and it, the original one and it really got me thinking well hold on let's just I've never really you know as an adult run this game as written so uh, that led me to set uh, Dark Sun uh, AD&D uh, second edition Dark Sun uh, campaign or like you know, mega adventure or whatever as my, my planned activity for New Year's, for New Year's this past year. And we did do that. We, we ran um, uh, Dark Sun and it was a lot of fun. I, it ended up being a lot shorter uh, than what I had intended uh, because we had just adopted a new puppy. Uh, so I was occupied with, uh, I couldn't just, you know, abandon the poor pup for 13 hours and run the game. But uh, I, I did run the the, the campaign for about five hours, and uh, boy, was it a lot of fun. Holy smokes. I really want to get uh, uh, Dark Sun back to the table sometime soon, because that was really, really, really fun. Uh, awesome. The survival rules are fantastic. The psionic powers are great, and really give it a great different, you know, uh, feel to the characters. The uh, not only just the, um, the, like, the mechanics behind survival, but, like, just some of the encounters that we had in the pre-made adventure were incredibly fun uh, and way better than I thought it was. Like I, I thought the adventure was going to be, to be honest, really feel like a bunch of railroady garbage, but it was tons and tons and tons of fun. Uh, and we only got through about, gosh, like maybe a fifth of the of the overall uh, campaign or the overall adventure. So there's, there were still tons and tons to do. So um, that prepping for that got me thinking about AD&D second in general. And then I, um, in place of the barrel maze, what I decided to do is to uh, pitch a AD&D second edition campaign playing the classic Night Below adventure. It's a mega adventure uh, written by Carl Sargent. And the, yeah, the, I mean, the, the game, the adventure, we've played four sessions so far. We made characters and then played four sessions so far, and we're using uh, some house rules, so I'm using like um, some uh, rules with respect to Astonishing Fortune, so we've got a, like a meta or, or a narrative meta currency that we're going to use in the game. Um, we've got uh, a... Uh, what else? Um, there, there's some rules for optional um, tactics in, in combat that I've stolen from Ash. Uh, there are some... Uh, Modificate. Well, you get to roll uh, hit by hit points uh, twice, and then take the highest of the two, uh, including first level. Uh, so there's some modifications, but otherwise we're you know we're using weapon speed, we're using casting speed, we're having one person roll initiative. Um, I've modified the rounds to be the same length they are in Ash, which is 10 seconds as opposed to the one minute in AD&D, just because that I think I, I'm 80 for one minute of combat is just. Uh, too long for modern sensibilities. Uh, and even, to be honest, back in the day, like as a kid, uh, if you had a combat that lasted, you know, uh, like I had a substantial length of time to it, it would be a long, long time. And maybe that's realistic, but, I don't know, visualizing the action for um, for one minute of time uh, f 
when you're used to kind of like careful tactical moves in uh, in a role playing game is is a bit weird. Uh, so, you know, we uh, we're going with the 10, 10 second uh, rounds. Turns are still ten minutes. Uh, otherwise, uh, the game is you know uh, is running as written. Um, and it's man, it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I let uh, oh I let them roll with higher uh, hit points or higher hit points, higher uh, stats as well too. We rolled four d four plus four, which is the same as what um, our Dark Sun does. That's, that's a recommended way for Dark Sun. So the stats are higher, and the reason I wanted the stats to be higher is because we're using the proficiency system because we use a lot of uh, a lot of um, what do you call it? Uh, skill t- like uh, ability tests. Uh, I wanted them to have at least a respectable chance of succeeding at most of those things, uh, and you know. Having generated some Dark Sun characters using that approach, excuse me, I'm yawning here. It's very rude. Um, using that, that that approach for the Dark Sun characters, I did not find that they were abusively uh, high. You know, like the the stats were the, the characters generally would have one or two pretty decent stats in the areas that they were you know, that needed to be high, but because of AD and D having, you know, like stat bonuses don't really start until like 15 or 16 then I wasn't super concerned about characters having 15 or 16, and to be honest, I mean, like, there's plenty of ways I can kill characters in, like, a decent strength or a decent, you know, intelligence score or decent dex is not going to prevent me from killing those characters, so uh, we're also using uh, damage reduction from um, uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea. Ash has a uh, rule for damage reduction for medium armor and heavy armor, and I really like that, uh, that rule. Because it, it gives you an extra reason beyond just the AC bonus to, uh, to to wear those heavier armors, and it gives a simulation. I don't give that as a flat bonus. Like I, I uh, interpret that as needed. Like you know, when uh, the guys fought a swarm of centipedes, I, I ruled that the DR wasn't protecting against that because they were so small they were able to get through the nooks and crannies. But but anyway, um, and we're we're at the stage right now where the players have done kind of the initial task for those who aren't familiar with night below it's it's a, a sandbox a campaign that does have a story base to it and unlike uh Baramaze, there's sort of there is a driving reasons story-wise why you go from adventures on the surface to adventures underground to adventures really really deep underground and there's a through to that whole thing and uh you know you uh, the characters as they delve deeper and, and learn more they become aware of the threat from below and the fact that it needs to be dealt with. So um, I, I kind of like that idea. We'll see how it plays out. I, I, I read online that um, the second uh, part of the adventure can really be a, dra- a drag, but I've also heard people say it isn't, so who knows, you know? Um, I think that uh, people griping about the second uh, segment, the second part of the campaign, maybe, I mean, whatever. I, I honestly don't know where it all likely comes out of DM, but I've got lots of ideas of how to tweak this this whole uh, campaign. I'm already uh, incorporating some new stuff into it already to make it my own, and I'm having just a ton of fun uh, so far. Like, the players have, have uh, had some really exciting combats. They've had some really fun role-playing with, uh, you know, the NPCs who occupy the uh, the two different towns that uh, make up the Harrenshire region. There's a place called Millborn uh, that is sort of like their first quest hub, if you will, that they got to, and then the second one is uh, Thurmaster, and that one is a little, it's like a shittier, you know, the two uh, towns, well, Milbourne is definitely the nicer of the two, and Thurmaster is uh, kind of a shithole, but uh, 
we're also, as recommended by uh, Carl Sargent, we are also going to use the retraining rules from AD&D. So players need to take time off from their adventures and need to train with someone who is a higher level than them uh, in order to gain the, their next levels. And the, there's a couple reasons why I'm doing that. Uh, why, well, a couple reasons why it's recommended is for one, to, uh, uh, to give the time, give the, uh, the feeling of the campaign an appropriate length. Uh, so like to, to give it the, the they're not going to be uh, heroes rocketing from uh, you know, zero to hero in the span of a couple of months. It's going to take you know, years of in-game play for them to get through all this material. Um, so that's fun, and uh, the the for my myself the other reason is to have them give a shit about the the NPCs in the setting. You know, they're one of the things I've learned from our Baramis campaign is how much fun it can be when the players actually become invested in the uh, in the NPCs when when they actually give a shit about what's going on with them and what their interests are and things like that. So. Um, that's great. I mean, uh, I'm, we're already seeing some, some, I think, some early potentials for uh, favorites who are emerging in the NPCs we've met so far, which is pretty great. And I, um, yeah, and they're, and they're getting a sense now of what kind of is, is going on, what, what might be going on, and areas or avenues of, um, of inquiry they can pursue. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited about that campaign. I think it, it scratches a lot of the uh, itches that um, I, I was trying to satisfy with the with the Pathfinder game, with the Bear Maze game, which is a sandbox game, player-driven, rotating cast. Um, this seems to be working a lot better, and, and we, we've got a total cast of about eight or nine players, and the fact that the um, we only have about five or six per session is fine. You know, I mean, it, it works out well, and we, we don't have... Um, uh, they're all... We don't have anyone who's yet really so linked into the campaign that we need that person to be there for the for that session. And also, we have people being aware of what other people are doing, so they're already thinking like a party and talking like a party as well, which is really awesome. Um, so yeah, and it's been and the role playing has been phenomenal. I'm I'm really enjoying how much time the characters are spending with the NPCs, talking to them, and and whatever. And um, it's cool not having any rules for that stuff. You know, like, uh, I, I get the value in, um, you know, in having uh, codified rules for how to, you know, how to kind of, like, combatify or, or gamify your uh, social encounters. But I really kind of like that we're not doing that in this. That there's not charisma checks, there's not whatever. Like, it's, uh, I'll roll reaction with their reaction modifiers if it's someone they're meeting for the first time. But otherwise, we just build on what's happened before and what's happened to that NPC before. You know, and um, it's... Yeah, enormously fun. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying that campaign, and I really—it's got me excited to get uh, back to Dark Sun as well too, because I, I think that that could be an awful lot of fun as well too. Um, so that's one of the lessons: is, is uh, you know what is again, uh, you know, I've said on, on previous podcasts, finding the right tool for the right job. Well, the job that I seem to want to do, which is a rotating cast with an ongoing developing story in a sandbox setting with a rule set that is very easy to. Uh, uh, to modify and, and, you know, fudge stuff on the fly, uh, and also that allows characters for regular advancement. You know, characters get XP as written by the rules, and I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about them outpacing the story or anything like that. Like, it's just, man, it's a great game. I'm really enjoying that one a lot. Um, so, 
that's about to, that's uh, some one of the lessons with respect to old school sandbox play. Um, maybe I'll put a pin in this section here right now. It's about 20 minutes, and then I will come back and talk about some of the other lessons I learned in 2019. All right, so that is how my uh, old school play from last year has uh, influenced what I'm doing this year, and one of the lessons I learned about my sensibilities and so forth. Uh, with respect to newer games, uh, there's a couple of games that I ran last year that I was really surprised, I mean, I was surprised, but um, really, really, really impressed me, and um, I definitely want to continue on with both in the new year. Uh, one of those is, is hardly uh, expect, hardly surprising, I think. It's, it's Pathfinder 2nd. I, I really, really enjoyed the vast majority of uh, the time we spent with it, which is like a hundred hours or something like it's it's a huge amount of time we spent playing Pathfinder Second Edition this past year. But um, I, I really, I really, really enjoy that game. I think it's a solid, uh, a really solid fantasy game uh, when you're running it the way that the game is is designed, like the t for the type of adventure the game is is designed to to simulate. And I don't necessarily mean uh, adventure paths. I just mean set pieces and story kind of focus and things like that like it is that is what the game is is exceptionally good at it has a phenomenal combat system i think it's a ton of great character customization in it and yeah like what, what i need to do in the new year uh, right now the sort of the luster for the game is has kind of come off uh, only because i uh I got a little frustrated with the the way the Barrow Maze campaign was going uh, near the the end there, but uh, I am continuing to run a Pathfinder Second Edition campaign set in Galantry, and it's with all wizards. But uh, it, it's a game that I think I would like to try and get back to the table again quite soon uh, for for other types of play. Like uh, I, I like the niche campaign that we're running with uh, Galantry where it's all wizards but I would like to see a full you know uh, full slate of different character classes again it's, again like the, the combat is, is exceptionally fun the well, one problem I, I, I'm not sure I, need, I maybe need to, to get advice on this from people who are running Pathfinder 2 more but the transition from the first tier to second tier like when you're going from the uh, first tier play where you're you're not using magic items, or at best, magic items are giving you a plus one to hit, not the extra dice of damage. That, for those who aren't familiar, the way magic items work in uh, Pathfinder 2 is that there are two types of kind of uh, enchantments with weapons. One of them grants you a bonus to your to hit roll, and the other one grants you a bonus to the damage dice. So you actually get an extra dice of damage that your weapon does. So it it means that magic weapons with the Striking rune. I can't remember what I think. I can't remember the first one's called. There's there's one and there's striking. And uh, once you get to that tier, which is around like level five and up, you start getting that first plus one uh, dice. Um, you start rolling a lot of dice to uh, to to hit. So you're hitting quite hard. And uh, I wasn't. You know what the, the the issue I I guess I have with it is that. Uh, there's not parity with all the characters uh, for getting that. So the, the spellcasters I'm not concerned with because the spellcasters will will tier you know scale up uh, according to whatever their uh, you know whatever their spells do. But for the non-spellcasters, for the weapon wielders, I you know having one character get the striking rune where the others don't it seems to 
what I worried about, I guess, is that one character feel, feeling like the overwhelmingly greater damage dealer than what the others are, the other characters are. And I guess that's sort of what the point of, um, you know, of those things are, and that's just the, na- the way it goes. But, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, just, it felt a little strange. Um, what, I, what I will say is that, like, at about third-level play for that... That is a really, really great sweet spot to play characters at. Uh, the you've got enough lower level characters that can feel like minions. Uh, you got enough higher level stuff that can feel threatening and dangerous, but you can still, you know, everyone's got a fat enough pool of hit points you can make for some really tactically fun combat encounters. It definitely is more combat as sport than combat as war. You know, in terms of the difference between kind of having, uh, you know, making a game of, of combat, but the expectation is that the odds are going to be in the player's favor, uh, as opposed to, you know, every struggle being a life and death thing. But it's really, really cool, and I, I would definitely uh, consider revisiting, uh, not consider, I'm going to be revisiting that. Um, the one that maybe, I mean, uh, might be not surprising uh, to regular listeners is uh, the City of Mists role-playing game, and for those who aren't familiar with that one, it is a, uh, it's a urban fantasy role-playing game that has a serious helping of noir mystery added into it um, mechanically is a bit of a cross between the Powered by the Apocalypse games and the Fate games Um, so it's got definitely a story, it is definitely a story game but uh, I had man, I had so much fun prepping and running that, it is one of the few games this year that I have read cover to cover uh, just because I was so uh, <clears throat> taken with the game, and oddly enough, one of the other ones that I ran, I read cover to cover, but didn't actually end up running beyond character creation was RuneQuest. So RuneQuest Glorantha, I I also read that cover to cover, and let's put a pin in that for the time being, and maybe come back to that in in a second here. But the um, yeah, City of Mist was just like in in terms of my interests for speed of play, improvisation at the table. Uh, immersion of uh, character of, of the players in uh, the story, uh, the sensibilities of running a noir mystery in an urban fantasy setting, the amount of creativity that players can express both in creating and playing their characters and using their abilities. It's just phenomenal. I, I absolutely adore the game. It's really, really great. Um, and I only ran one session of it. So, you know, uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to getting that back to the table. I just need to figure out when that is going to be. But uh, I... Oof, that uh, the amount of fun I had running that one session of the game is uh, incredibly disproportionate to how much time I spent at the table. I guess like I just thoroughly, thoroughly love that game. Um, and it's it's the first uh, sort of story game where I have thoroughly clicked with it, um, soup to nuts. You know, like I like a lot of the ideas with uh, Blades in the Dark. Uh, you know, qu- quite a bit, and I've had some good sessions with that. But I've had other ones where it's really kind of stumbled, and I just was having a hard time clicking with it and getting it to click with the players. Same thing with Band of Blades. Band of Blades is a very cool-looking, forged-in-the-dark military fantasy, dark fantasy uh, game, and uh, I, I love so much about that stuff, but it did not come together in a holistic manner the way that uh, the setting, the rules, and the play at the table did for City of Mist. City of Mist is just a phenomenal game, and it's actually what prompted me to get Cult, uh, the Divinity Lost, the uh, horror game. Uh, also, which I, from what I understand, I have not delved too too 
much into it, but from reading the game, uh, the amount I've read so far seems to have a lot of um, standing on the shoulders of giants in, in terms of taking uh, or and repurposing some mechanical ideas from City of Mist to make that game. So, um, yeah, so those two games, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting back to, getting back to the table. And I think that um, what I've learned from those is to make sure I'm, I'm using those games or the type of play there uh, for which they are in designed. You know, I, I'm not going to run a sand. I'm not going to run a, um, I don't know, detailed combat heavy thing with uh, City Mist because it's not what that game is designed to do. It's designed to sort of hand wave and uh, and narratively work your way through combat or, or violence encounters. Um, I'm not going to run uh, Pathfinder 2 to run a, you know. Um, sandbox uh, style uh, campaign because it doesn't seem like that's really what that's designed for or at least it is not what it is optimized for it is optimized for playing through a kind of specific story and I can run that kind of game I just need to make sure I'm starting it from the outset doing that kind of play um, what else what else did I learn this year I learned I learned I learned that um, yeah, I guess like looking on looking back on the way I have uh you know the, the the amount of time I did spend running D&D Fifth Edition, I feel like I, I want to get that, give that another go, uh, because I, I think there's a couple of things I'm I don't I'm not sure that I've been, I've been running it terribly well in the the way that I have been running it up until now. I don't think it's ever going to be my go-to fantasy game. In fact, I'm I'm pretty much certain it's not going to be. Uh, although I, I certainly don't have really a go-to fantasy game at present, I have different tools for different purposes, but. Um, I, I, you know, given how much cool stuff there is for it that is designed for play with that, in particular, a lot of the uh, Kobold Press stuff, the Midgard setting seems really, really, really cool. And I would really like to try and explore some of that stuff. Um, the Deep Magic book that's coming out, uh, it's in the midst of, at the time of recording, it is still the Kickstarter's finished and we're getting regular updates. And it's, uh, I think, scheduled for like a March 2020 release. That looks pretty cool. I really enjoy the world book. There's a lot of optional rules out of the um, whatever the heroes, the players' guide uh, version of their uh, Midgard world book is for Fifth Edition. That one is particular is really good as well. It's got some um, great uh, rules for making different weapons feel unique in Fifth Edition, which is always I'm always a big fan of stuff that does that in a in a good like in an easily integrated way uh they also have an assumption that every adventure has like um a several month gap between them um if not a year i can't remember what what the the gap time is but it's um oh i know what it was it was that the the time in the campaign moves at real uh time pace like if you are playing through an adventure and the adventure took you three months to uh to play through then three months pass in the campaign uh, between the end of that adventure and then start of the next one. That's really interesting. I think that's, that's a really easy, easily integrated way of measuring actual progression of time in your campaign without having to track a calendar as you go through counting day by day by day. So that, that I think, is really, really neat. Um, and the sensibilities of that, too, uh, setting, I think, are pretty cool. The vaguely kind of Eastern European and then uh, some other or like Slavic, you know, myths stuff that's incorporated into it is pretty badass. Um, I got a copy as well, too, of the Tales from the Old Margrave, and 
Uh, it has many of my favorite things uh, in a, you know, that, that are from the um, Midgard setting, like the Bear Folk, which I fucking, I think are awesome. They're so cool. Uh, and the idea, it's, I think it's got a, re- a store, like a regular campaign in it as well, too, to play through. So that's, that's kind of cool. Um, so maybe, that's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that, that would be a good option for pickup games. Although, if I'm going to do pickup games, maybe it would be better to do it with Pathfinder 2. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough with uh, where, where I know clearly what the advantage is of playing um, Pathfinder 2 or like uh, mechanically that game or Pathfinder 1 or some of the other things I I don't know if I um, I don't know I don't, I don't know if I can articulate what I think is so you know what would be so good about using D&D 5th as opposed to other things apart from familiarity and ubiquity of supplements so I don't know we'll see we'll see um, another thing that, that someone has pointed out recently that I think is really really cool is the some of the assumptions that I make about level of trust with the uh, the between players and DMs like I think that I ask for a great deal of trust from my players when I run games because I fudge rules so much and I change rules and house rule games so much uh, sometimes on the fly that the I I, I do ask um indirectly uh, for a lot of trust from the players that that what I'm the changes I'm making are going to be um, for the betterment of all our shared experience and with that as well too is the the trust that the players with certain games that I, I run that that are you know uh, at least open to min maxing I I trust the players are not going to do that and you know one of the things that I had been discussing recently with some friends on uh, discord is how some of the more modern developments, like 3rd Edition, 3rd Edition seems to have developed as a backstop to the inconsistent house ruling that could happen when you're going from table to table to table. And I understand that. I don't think I appreciated why like, there was frustration with some players as to, you know, when you're going and playing with a whole bunch of different rotating groups, why you need to have that unified set of rules. But for me, as a DM, I'm only ever really playing at my table. Uh, I know, like I, I play in other games too. But my when I play in other games, I am happy to concede to whatever rules changes and house rules that the respective DMs are going to make. You know, however they're going to interpret stuff, that's fine by me because I'm, you know, I, it's their table, their rules. So I I have a better appreciation for why people want those consistency of rules. But I also recognize that's not me. You know, like that's not the kind of game I run. That is not the kind of game I'm ever going to run. Um, I, or at least I'm not interested in running. I'm interested in running a game where I'm going to make the game itself work for my particular table. I am not concerned about what happens at anybody else's table. Uh, I'm concerned only with mine. And if uh, it seems if that remorseless, you know, house ruling is uh, uh, is not to the liking of certain players, I just need to make sure that I'm, I'm clear from the get go. Look, this is the kind of DM I am. Um, I expect trust, but I'm also going to be giving it back to you uh, in terms of what I'm letting you get away with. But if, um, you know, if that's not uh, a level of comfort that you want, if you want to know soup to nuts, what, it's twice I've used the phrase soup to nuts in this episode, uh, you know, uh, from you know, pay cover to cover, what the rules are for every given circumstance, I'm probably not going to be the, you're, I'm probably not going to run a game that you're going to want to keep playing. Um, so, um, 
yeah, I mean, I think that that was really that's really a, a, an important thing to bear in mind uh, and make sure I'm communicating that too as uh, I meet new people as I play with new people it's going to be important that I make it clear to them like look this is this is the dynamic that I'm expecting between us you know I um, I recently watched an episode of um, uh, Seth Skorkowski his YouTube channel he's got a ton of really great uh, and insightful videos on there and one of his most recent ones was talking about what players are getting out of the play experience at the table and like how some want to just play the game and some want to, um, you know, hang out and whatnot. And they're more interested in the um, in the social uh, portion of the gameplay experience and how some want to middle the two. They want to have fun with the players, but they also want to play the game and, and whatever. And um, it, it, was really, it really was really helpful, especially with the, uh, the loss of one of my players to, uh, from the Starfinder campaign to help me understand, like, oh, this is what's going wrong here. Uh, this is what's happened is that there's been a, dis- a miscommunication. I did not communicate enough with the group of players that I'm playing with right now that like, look, guys, if, if we're not playing this game, I still want to play with you guys for something else. I'm enjoying hanging out with you guys. I, I enjoy playing games. And if we don't, if this one's not working, we'll find something else. And I, because I think I've played with the same group of people for years and years before I started yeah, forcibly making myself branch out and play with other people, I make the assumption that people understand that, that, you know, oh, no, no, if we don't like this game, we'll find something else to play together. And I shouldn't do that because, I, it, you know, people who are coming from a more diverse uh, background who are playing with more, you know, new tables or playing in Adventures League or whatever, they're not used, you know, they, they see that, whoa, 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 you know, it's always new randos at the table. Um, we need these rules to be able to, to, to make sure that we're all operating on the same mechanical page and that there's no, you know, um, no one is, is fucking over anyone else, uh, be it the DMs or the other players or whatever. So that's an important realization. I mean, I, I need to make sure that um, uh, with new players that I communicate, look, hey, this is, I, I am not that DM. I'm not the DM who's going to run uh, the book, you know, as written. We're going to get it as close as we can. Uh, or I will tell you what the changes are, but you know, we're, we may be making changes in the fly just for the sake of keeping things moving. And I, um, I am always okay with that. I mentioned on the last podcast, how that definitely, uh, running the star Wars, uh, fantasy flight games that way, uh, or fantasy flight star Wars games that, that definitely made me have a appreciation for them again is, is by running them the way I choose to run them rather than running them the, as written. I enjoy the game enormously more. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that um, that is a lesson from this this past year as well too. Is is to make sure that you know what I keep calling in some I, I lump in with the old school sensibilities that look you trust the DM is going to have their own rules at their table. Um, that's something I need to make sure that is communicated to all the players, uh, you know, new and old. That um, this is the you know I I, I am going to be running a game, but um, it is not going to be this game. I'm not running this to make sure I run this specific game properly. Uh, I am running it because I want to have a fun experience that I think this game will be good for. So, yeah. Um, that's a, I think that's all the lessons I can think of right now. I, I likely t- spoke about more in the uh, year in review on my uh, channel, YouTube channel. I also uh, talk about a bunch of the games I want to get to the table, so I won't re- rehash that stuff in here, but I think that kind of brings this section to a close. So maybe I'll, I'll um, 
end this section here or segment and then I will make with the outro. So I'm an idiot and the, the last thing I should talk about, which I haven't spoken about in, uh, or at least on the uh, YouTube channel, is this podcast. Um, I don't think that, I can't remember if I started this podcast this year or only this has been the first full year of doing the podcast, but um, boy, like has this been an, an enormously fun experience as well too. I think that uh, the way that, um, or the easy way that uh, Anchor uh, provides to to make podcast content, uh, to just record it while I'm in the car. I know the sound quality is likely not that great, so my apologies for not, you know, concerning myself too, too much with the sound quality. There's likely always going to be noise in the background of uh, wind or engine or, you know, me not looking at the microphone. So I, anyone who has been listening to the podcast thus far, I, I do appreciate you forgiving those um, uh, quality uh, control shortcomings of the podcast. But I've had such great responses from people uh, in um, the uh, in the podcast community as well. Um, it, it's setting aside the feedback that I, I've gotten or that I have received from the listeners uh, and uh, uh, John uh, Large. Uh, very, very uh, Merry Christmas to you too. I appreciate you um, uh, reaching out. I got a, a voice message from John Allen Large from the Red Dice Diaries. Uh, so a very uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you too, bud. Uh, even just thinking through these issues, like talking through a lot of these things has proven to be, I think, beneficial for me to, uh, in, in terms of the the, uh, the YouTube content, like the actual play content, it's been helpful to talk through and, being, and alter- alternatively have to think through and then talk through some of these issues to help me become a better DM, a better streamer, a better, you know, um, a better gamer. And, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I know that I do not, uh, I, I do what, you know, is always the worst way of creating content, which is I tend to pursue, uh, create my, uh, kind of, uh, pursue what my, um, my interest is or my creativity is rather than setting a schedule and just creating. There's that, uh, adage, of uh, what he called of uh, Mark Twain saying that uh, writing is uh, 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration, and me simply pursuing podcasting when I'm inspired is not the best way to create regular content. But I I would sooner do that than have content where I'm just I don't know. I mean, like maybe I should just record more frequently, and then it would be more. Uh, I don't know, more like slice of life stuff, but I do tend to prefer having a specific topic that I want to talk about, be it year in review or quarterly or a specific issue or whatever, than just doing that. But I'm, this is what I intend to keep doing with this podcast is have a less regimented uh, role or less regimented timeline with it than what I do on my uh, YouTube channel where I do really, really try and keep to the schedule as much as possible. So, yes, thank you. So thank you to everyone who has listened. Thank you to everyone who has uh, uh, reached out uh, through one of the or many ways that uh, reached me, email, through uh, the Discord uh, server, through uh, Twitter, uh, or through voice messages on Anchor. So thank you to everyone. Uh, this has made this has been a really enjoyable part of my gaming experience in 2019. I'm really looking forward to uh, continuing on with this in 2020. So 
yeah, hooray for more podcasting. So I think that will make for an episode. Uh, so uh, for those listening at home, thank you so much for listening to the Dungeon Musings podcast. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please don't hesitate to yeah, shoot me a voice message on Anchor. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at uh, Dungeon Musings. You can reach me by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. And uh, you can also, uh, if you go to the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, any of our recent videos, we'll have a link to the Discord server as well, too. I have no earthly idea how else to uh, get the link uh, to you, but you're welcome to join us in the Dungeon Musings Discord server as well, too, which is getting more and more active uh, by the day. So um, anyway, uh, thanks again, folks, and we will see you again soon. Until then, happy gaming.